you guys here in the building and also wherever you are watching, I want you guys just to say in the chat or something like that, just say, I am a child of God. Come on, somebody say, I am a child of God. Come on, say it real boldly. I am a child of God. Come on, let's give God praise in this place. And wherever you are, come on, let's give God praise. He's worthy to be praised. Amen. 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 Well, what's up, everybody? This is my first time doing like for real, for real, full sermon on uh, online and everything like that. So y'all better excuse me. I'm gonna be real if that's all right. Um, I don't even know which camera to look at, but what's up, y'all? How y'all doing? All right. And for everybody here online, uh, everybody here in the building, want to say what's up to you. You may have your seats. Today is a good day. Today is a good day, and we bless God for just being here with us and us being with him. There is nothing like the presence of God. My name is Ronald Green, and I serve as the worship director here at Bridgeway Community Church. I also have the privilege and honor to serve as a minister at Bridgeway, and uh, I just want to welcome you if this is your first time, and even if this is your 100th time coming with us, if you're online, why don't you chat and tell me where you're, call where you're um, tuning in from. Come on, let's flood this chat room so we so we can talk to each other don't don't just engage with me engage with each other because God has something special for you and I gotta admit I am not the only one who's gonna be preaching to you you guys have a whole bunch of treats today so you had James Peck who was leading worship as a guest worship leader I'm gonna be preaching today and after I'm done preaching which is just gonna be a little bit we're also gonna be joined by none other than our very own elder Kevin Thornton who's gonna be bringing the word as well we're gonna be talking about a two-week series that we are introducing today it's called dwelling place somebody say dwelling place I'm going to talk to you guys a little bit more about that and uh, we're going to dive deep a, a little deeper into that but just know that you're going to be we're going to be talking about worship you are going to receive information about worship we are going to have a demonstration in worship that's right we're going to worship some more and because of that, I believe that by the power of God, you will experience a deeper revelation within the worship. Anybody ready for that? Amen. Amen. Also want to thank God for, uh, in his absence, want to shout out the man himself, Dr. David Anderson. We love Dr. David Anderson. Anybody love your pastor? Yeah. <laughs> And uh, really appreciate just the fact that he trusts us to be um, speaking to you guys today. And there is a word from the Lord. We are going to be talking about the presence of God. Why? Because one moment in the presence of God can change your life forever. One moment in the presence of God can change your life forever. I want you guys to say that even if you're online, I want you to say, come on, let's say it together. One moment in the presence of God can change your life forever. Now let's make it personal. Change my life. Here we go. One moment in the presence of God can change my life forever. Like I said, we're starting a new series today called Dwelling Place. 
And I was looking up in, in the dictionary, I'm trying to find something real, real deep to say about dwelling place, what it means and things like that so you guys can say, wow. Uh, that didn't happen. So basically, I looked in the dictionary and I said, what, what does this dwelling place mean? God, give me some, some revelatory thing that's just gonna blow everybody's mind. And I look on it, it says dwelling means home. Home. Dwelling means home. I wanna let you guys in on a little secret, even in my life. So, my wife and I, right now are in the process of selling our house and buying a new one. That's right, I'm one of the crazy people in this housing market that is going crazy, and as we speak, as I speak to you today, there are people in my home, there are strangers in my house walking through, looking through all, I don't even know what they're looking through, but they're looking through my whole house trying to determine if this is going to be their home. I feel like the old R&B song that says, there's a stranger in my house. Anybody? No? Okay, it's fine. All right. But everybody is looking for a home, including my wife and I, because, you know, we, we have two kids, and we're trying to see what the best place right that's, uh, that is right now for us in the state of uh, life that we're in right now. We're trying to figure out what that looks like. What is home for us? So we're traveling with, with our realtor. She's, she's really great. And we're trying to look at these homes and we're saying, I like this one. This is really nice. This is really nice. It looks really good inside. I like this one. This looks really good outside. I'm not sure if this is the one. I'm not sure if this is the one. Um, there's something about it. And she said, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is what you call a row of homes, a row of houses. You're not looking for a row of houses. You're looking for a neighborhood. There's a difference. There's a difference between a regular row of houses and a neighborhood. What you guys are looking for in this state of life that you're in right now, you need a neighborhood. And you're not just looking for a house, you're looking for a home. Some of us feel like while we're striving and looking for a house, a dwelling place, we find ourselves in life with situations where we're in rows of homes, just rows of houses next to each other. It's not a neighborhood, it's just a row of homes. What's the difference between a neighborhood and a row of homes next to each other? And, and, and I'm not getting on y'all who, who live in row of homes next to each other. That's good, because I've done that for years upon years. But right now, where we are in life, we are actually looking for what you call a planned neighborhood. What's the difference? Well. I've noticed that when I was living in my row of homes, you would know your neighbors, but not necessarily know your neighbors. Like, I know their names, I know what kind of car they drive, I, I, I know their children, but we've never had fellowship together. We, we've never, we don't know each other's personal lives except for when my family comes over. They're like, oh, that must be his, his mom or that must be her mom. Uh, no, 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 no. We, we just have that relationship. When I go out to work, it's like, hey, how you doing? It's, it's, it's great to see you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, bye. Have a great day. But 
I'm looking for a little bit more than that. And some of us are yearning for more of that, not just within our neighborhoods in our house, but also our, our spiritual neighborhoods, our neighborhoods within our church. Some of us are yearning for that, that connection where it's not just coming in and say, hey, how you doing? Great to see you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, we're yearning for that connection that says, I want to do life with people. Not just that, we are yearning for that relationship with God. Some of us in our relationship with God, we feel like it's more of a, I live here, God lives here. When I come and do my business back and forth, I say, hey, how you doing? It's, it's nice to see you. It's nice to see you. And he's, he says, hey, back. He's right there. I know he's right there, but I want a deeper connection. I want my relationship with God to look more like a neighborhood and not just a row of homes. Well, home is where you feel welcome. Home is where you find a sense of peace and where you find a sense of your purpose. This is what the psalmist describes in Psalm 84, and that's going to be our focus scripture for today. Um, for today and next week, it's going to be our focus scripture. It's Psalm 84, so why don't you turn to that? I'm going to read it to you in the NIV version. And it reads like this. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near your altar. Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. Somebody say pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Because better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. And the people of God said, amen. This psalm was written by what we call the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah, you need to know, they were actually workers in the temple. They were workers in the presence of God. They worked the tabernacle. So they are saying here, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Even as they worked day in and day out, they still said that there's no better place to be. 
Let's turn to verse five. And verse five says like this. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. Question is, what does pilgrimage have to do with a dwelling place? What does pilgrimage have to do with home? Well, a vagabond, a vagabond has no home. While a vagabond has no home, a fugitive is running from home, and a stranger seems to be far away from home. But a pilgrim knows where home is, and they're pursuing home. Some of us in life, we feel like we're more like the vagabonds, where we don't have any home. It's like, is this place for me? Is this place for me? God has something for you. Others of us might feel like we're fugitives, and this sounds a little crazy. I'm calling you a fugitive, but no. Some of us, maybe spiritually and internally, feels like as far as it relates to home, we feel more like fugitives because it's, we're, we're running from that place, that place where we once found peace, that place where we once found purpose. For some reason, we ran away from it. I can tell you today, that God, God wants you to come back. While some of us might feel like we're fugitives, others of us might feel like we're strangers, far away from home. Strangers far away from home, and we feel like we need to get back to that place, that, back to that place of peace, back to that place of purpose. Can I tell you this? God has called us to be pilgrims. In this pilgrim journey, God has called us to be pilgrims who know where our home is, where our dwelling place is, and know that we are on our way there. So some of you might also be feeling like, man, I know where my dwelling place is, but what I don't know is this situation that I'm in right now doesn't seem like I'm on my way there, my, on my way to the dwelling place, to that place where I find peace, where I find purpose. Let's look at verse six. Verse six says like this. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. Somebody say Baca. Baca is not a place. Baca is a posture. You know what Baca means? Baca means weeping. So it's saying, as I pass through the place of weeping, it's made into a place of springs. How can I pass through a place of weeping and it becomes springs? I'll tell you why. It's because I know where the dwelling place is. When I know where my destination is, I, the things that tend to distract me and to bring me down, I don't worry about those anymore because I know where my help comes from. The Bible says, I look to the hills from which cometh my help, knowing that my help comes from the Lord, the God who made heaven and earth. Some of you might be experiencing 
a season of baka, season of weeping, whatever that might be. I want to take a second right now and pray for you. I want to pray for you, the ones who feel like there is something that is just holding me down in this season. But I believe that God is right there in the distance. I just need to see it. I believe that relief, I believe that peace, I believe that my purpose is right there in the distance. I just need strength to get through my baka. Can I pray for you today? Those of you who are in the room and those of you who are online, why don't you just bow your head? Father, in Jesus' name, thank you so much, God that you've called us to be pilgrims. God, we know where our help comes from. And even if we're in this season that seems to be really hard, that is causing the spirit of weeping, God, I pray by the power of the spirit of God that you would change it into a place of springs. God, breathe fresh life into us. I pray in the name of Jesus that by the power of the Spirit of God, you would move on your people today, online and in this place. God, would you move and encourage our souls. God, turn our bakas into a place of spring. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Verse 8 says, hear my prayer, O Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God, look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Why? For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, Blessed is the one who trusts in you. Well, we're talking about this dwelling place. What is this dwelling place? What is this place where we find peace, where we find purpose? What is this dwelling place? Where is it? We're going to be talking about that for the next two weeks, but I can tell you this. It's not in money. It's not in riches, it is not in people, it is not in a place, it is not in a congregation, it's not in a building. This place, this dwelling place, this sense of home is in the presence of God. I want you to check this video out, and then after that, Elder Kevin's going to come speak to us more.
Good morning, Bridgeway. Can't tell you what an honor and a privilege it is to be here with you today for the first time in over a year. Uh, I'm so excited to be part of this uh, series on the dwelling place that Ronald has started with us. Uh, about 39 years ago, when my wife and I got born again, uh, there was a TV pastor who challenged us to talk about the talents and gifts that God had given us. Well, at that point, as a new Christian, I didn't know that I had any talents or gifts. At that point, we were pretty, feeling pretty desperate and helpless. And, but God said, and I started to think about it, said, okay, God, other than my heartbeats, the only thing I could give to you right now. But I also remembered that I could play the guitar a little bit. I learned as a, as a hippie in the late 60s to play the guitar. So I started to learn to play worship music and became a worship leader. Well, as I grew in that calling uh, and, and we're starting to learn and study more about the Bible, I've stumbled one time during my yearly reading through the Bible upon Exodus chapters, particularly 25 through 31, where God goes into this tabernacle in the wilderness. And I began to study it. Well, at that time, I was a masochistic, I guess, and I studied it in the King James Version. So a lot of the terminology that King James had used didn't make any sense to a hillbilly boy from South Baltimore like me. So I thought to myself, I went to a Bible study one Wednesday night with my mentor, and I said to him, if I could only see what this was, looks like, I think I could have a deeper appreciation and understanding what this is and really grab hold of it. And he said to me, do you have a second? This is Wednesday night about 8.30 after Bible study. He ran upstairs and got a copy of these overhead slides. How many remember overheads? Yeah, we got a couple old people here in the, in the congregation. But, but he got these overhead slides and he started to pull them out. And we went through these slides while we read the scripture, and it was like an aha moment. It was like, you know, when, when the um, Wizard of Oz, you watch the Wizard of Oz, and it goes from being black and white to technicolor. That's what happened here for me. And this is like 30-some years ago. And I've been looking into it and studying it more. And hopefully I'll be able to present it uh, this summer as a Wednesday night series in more depth. We're just going to do a cursory glance at it today because, unfortunately, that's all the time we have. But I'd like to share with you some of these, some of these slides because then you'll be able to understand when God says what his courts are and what his gates are and what the holy place looks like and what the holy of holies looks like. Because God has given us through these scriptures, he's saying, I want to be with you so much. I love you and I miss your fellowship so much. I'm going to want you to build my house right in the midst of your nation so that I'm accessible to whoever will come to me. And he said, and these are very, very specific dimensions and colors and materials and everything. God was very particular about what he wanted his house to look like. And every color and every, every dimension has a significance that points us to Jesus Christ and the finished work that he's done on the cross so we can enter into the presence of a holy God. We can come into his house, into his dwelling place, as Ronald had already talked to us about today. 
So that's where the, from the aspect from which I'm going to walk you through today. And again, it's going to be a very cursory glance. Um, and I, I hope that these store-bought teeth work well enough for me and you'll be able to understand me. So uh, we're going to start today. In, in, Exodus 20, uh, in Exodus 25, at the very end, and uh, verse 8, he says, then, make me a, then have them make me a sanctuary. I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I show you. So God's saying, this is my building. This is my house. The word that he used for tabernacle is mishkan. And it means a dwelling place or an abode, some place where my spirit will rest, some place that I will be accessible to whoever wants to come and see me and, and worship and fellowship with me. It's a pretty significant place here. And so um, if we can pull up the first slide, it's, this is an overhead, an aerial view of the uh, tabernacle in the wilderness. Down at the bottom left, you see the gate. You see the white fence around the encampment. And then as you go a little bit further, this is all the outer court. The tent in the back is the combination of the holy place and the holy of holies. And it's covered, and we'll, we'll talk further as we go through there. But Psalm 100 starts, uh, in the middle of Psalm 100 actually, it says, we're to enter his gates with thanksgiving, and it's courts with praise. Now, these white curtains that are all around this, this tabernacle, this tabernacle area, are there to separate a profane world from a profound God. God is holy. He's always been holy. He'll never be anything else but holy. And only the holy can come into his presence. How do we become holy? Well, today, through the blood of Jesus Christ. But back in the Old Testament, it was through a series of sacrifices and offerings that God had set aside to, that foreshadowed what Jesus Christ in, in the New Testament would do for us, right? So God says, we enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. So that first, first slide, again, uh, slide two, that gate in the front was a place where um, the people on the outside, now these, these walls were seven and a half feet high. The, the tabernacle was 150 feet long and 75 feet wide, seven and a half feet wide. Now, I don't think there were too many Israelites at that time that were seven and a half feet tall that could see over top of the fence what was going on. So the only way to come into God's presence, you had to be intentional about it. You had to come into his presence, enter his gates with what? With thanksgiving. So you brought an offering into the gates. And, and the um, Jewish tradition has it that as the men came into the gates, they would raise their hands as a sign to God that says, I'm coming in by myself to meet you, and I'm not bringing anything else in with me. So this is the, the place where we start to come into his gates with thanksgiving and to meet with the holy God and develop a closer relationship. You don't just walk into anybody's house as Ronald's buying a new house and, and, and sit down at the dinner table. You have to be invited to come. And it has to be a purposeful thing that you come into his presence. So here we're seeing how we enter the gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. 
If we can see that same slide again, number two. Yet we have, uh, as you go and you see the, the altar that's burning, that's the brazen altar. Uh, and that's where the uh, people who were coming to make penitence, penance before God, they would bring their offerings and the priest would slay the offering and the burning of that offering would be symbolic of the deep down sin in the penitent's heart. And by burning that, that would take care of all the internal sin that God had, had uh, that the, God, the, the penitent had perpetrated and God would be able to forgive him there. That, of course, is typological of Jesus Christ. So we come to his altar and kneel at his altar. All of our sins that we've committed up to that point are forgiven. So we can see as we draw closer, we draw closer to the Father through Jesus Christ, his Son, than the atoning work that was done on the, on the cross. Amen? So this is as far as the penitent at this point could go. The rest of the, the journey into the presence of God was set aside for the priests. Now, the priest went through all this sacrificial cleansing and, and uh, offerings as well. But as, as they had to draw closer to the presence of God and come into the holy place, God tells them at three places in one scripture to stop by the brazen laver and wash thereat, lest they die. Another way in which God tells us, another place in which he tells us and demonstrates his desire for a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, to come into his presence. How do we do that? This uh, brazen laver, if you'll show the picture uh, right there, yes, the brazen laver is, was made from the looking glasses of the women of Egypt. When, when the women of uh, Israel left Egypt, the women of Egypt gave them their looking glasses, their mirrors, and an artist uh, took all this brass mirror, hammered it into a bowl, and had a, a, a foot there too. So this was so that the priest who had had their internal sin, their deep-rooted sin taken care of at a brazen altar, before they came in the holy place, this is like kind of a double check, so that they could make sure they had no outward sin on them. This was another self-examination point because God said, look, I'm looking for your fellowship, but if you have any, any sin that you haven't dealt with, please take care of it now because the second you step foot into my holy place, you will die. And I don't want that to happen. So this was a place where the priest could examine his outward being. He could take the water from the bowl and cleanse his outer garments and his face. It was a place of cleansing and a place of refreshing before coming into the presence of a holy God. So the next slide shows the, the holy place. We're looking down now into the holy place. Down at the bottom left, as you see, is the, is the door that leads into the holy place. The, um, the walls are made of wood, incorruptible wood it's called, and it's covered with beaten gold. 
solid gold. The roof was made out of curtains, and we'll get into that further next week. And the curtains were embroidered. They were white, fine twine linen, symbolic of purity, and they were embroidered with blue, scarlet, and purple. So it symbolized Jesus Christ as the, in his heavenly form, as the blood that he shed for our sacrifice, and as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So every place you see this, we, we look and we see Jesus as we're entering this gate. So the priests would stand here and they'd come in to the, um, the holy place. There's uh, one priest would come into the holy place two times a day. They come in in the morning, and they'd come in in the evening during the offerings uh, that, uh, that were uh, for the people, prayer offerings during the, two times during the day. So at that point, they would come in, and if I could see a picture again, we'd see that the only furniture really in that area is the golden candlestick on the left, which was made out of 150 pounds of pure gold that was a beaten work, it was the only light that shone in that room. The, the overhead covered was another covering or a series of coverings that was a white fine twine linen with a blue and scarlet and purple. But it also had angels woven into that fabric too. On the right-hand side, we have the golden table of shoe bread, which was a place where God communed with his priest who would come into his presence one time a week. And then the, the, um, the priest would finish his ministry at the golden altar of incense, where it would be right outside the veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. Now, the priest could come in here twice a day, as we said, so it was very limited access, a very limited number of times for a very specific purpose to come and meet with God. But you can see, we start from the gates with thanksgiving, come into his courts to deal with the outer sin, but yet only one priest could come in twice a day to come into the holy place. So we're, we're in essence, we're narrowing down the access to God, but it's a deeper entrance coming in to the presence of God at this point. So uh, he would be standing at this golden altar of incense uh, twice a day, and he would be within 10 feet of the presence, the Shekinah glory of God. Imagine what it was like being a priest walking into this holy place for the first time. First year, I would be afraid that I would be burned to a crisp immediately. Yeah, I think I'm gone. But God would allow me to come into his presence. And then once I'm in there, there's no light except for the light from the candelabra now, which is reflecting off of solid gold walls. You're, you're covered over top by curtains that have angels, cherubim. And in front of you is the curtain, the veil that separates you from the presence of God. And then ultimately, the incense on the altar of incense is a sweet savor of God's nostrils. So that has to be something pretty fantastic too. Just imagine being there in that presence of God, in the presence of holiness. No unholiness, no spot, no wrinkle, no smudges allowed. Had to be an awesome thing. But then we even can even go one step deeper. One time a year, the high priest 
who was specifically set apart, consecrated, and went through a whole cleansing ritual on this day of atonement for, for Israel, he would go into the presence of God. He would carry blood. He would carry incense. He would put blood on the horns of the, of the ark and the, um, and the mercy seat. Can we see that slide uh, for the ark? There we go. Here, this is the ark of the covenant. It's again, it's a wooden, incorruptible wooden box that's covered with gold and surrounded by a, a crown as, the, as Jesus is the king of kings. Inside it, God instructed Moses that they were to put three things. Now, I would think that as a king and the ultimate king, this thing should be filled with gold and diamonds and jewels and pearls and everything that's precious in the world. But God said he wanted a pot of manna. He wanted the Ten, Ten Commandments and, the, and Aaron's rod that budded. Now, we're told about all these things through this passage in, in Exodus 25 through 31. And it's, they're all described in depth and detail. But the Palamana was to show the Israelites and remind them that this was my provision for you in the desert that you rejected. And the tablets were, this is my law that I gave for your good that you rejected. And then the other, this is the, the Aaron's rod that budded was, this is my spiritual leadership for you that you've rejected. But I love you anyway. And I'm going to make a way, I'm going to cover that with the blood of my son, Jesus Christ. I'm going to atone for that. So if we could see the next slide, the next slide is the mercy seat or, or the atonement uh, seat. Yes, there we go. That's the, that's the mercy seat sitting on top of the Ark of the Covenant. This again, this too was, we're told in Scripture, was made from one talent or 150 pounds of solid gold that was beaten with a hammer and formed into two angels that faced each other and they had their wings spread out touching each other and the Spirit of God, the Shekinah glory, rested on the mercy seat between the, the faces of the angels. And if we can see the next slide where we can look up, and we're looking here, this is the top as it, as it was made, a single piece of gold. We're looking up now into the faces of the angels. And God's place, uh, uh, kind of glory, would have rested between that base. Now, how all in all were we to walk into the holy place? Imagine the... the high priest walking in one time a year into the Holy of Holies and seeing the Shekinah glory of God. Now we're told that he took incense with him because it, provi it provided a thin veil of smoke, a thin veil of smoke that would prevent his eyes from seeing the glory of God full on and he would have died. So it was a prohibitive thing for the, for the safety of the high priest to be able to come in. And so now, when we, we were talking about the three things that were in the tabernacle, and they all seemed like negative things. They were the provision that was rejected. It was the, the, uh, the law that was rejected. It was the leadership that was rejected. Why would God do that? 
He said, and it, but it's his way of showing us that, look, I'm setting this as a reminder for you, but I'm telling you that my atonement seat now is on top of the, of the uh, ark, covering it over. And that atonement is my son, Jesus Christ, so I will see that no more. I won't look upon your transgressions. I won't look upon all the things that you've done. If you're covered by the blood of Jesus and you're walking with him and you're walking a holy and righteous life, you're welcome to come into my presence. I want you to come in my presence. That's why I built this building in the first place. This is my dwelling place. This is my house, but you have to follow my rules to come in. And as he does, as he does that, he calls us. And, and just to, to be able to just sit and be with him. How many have had the experience that when you come into the, you make it into the Holy of Holies, it's a very purposeful thing to come into the Holy of Holies with God. You have to, you have to want to. You have, it costs you something to come into the presence of God. But when you're there, like, Ronald read in Psalm 84, better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. Because all of us, no matter what we think, we think we're looking for a house. We think we're looking for a spouse. We think we're looking for a new car, a vacation home, diamonds, gold, and jewels. We're looking for peace. We're looking for joy. And that's only found in the presence of a holy God. And he's standing there, and he's saying, I've made that provision. We as New Testament priests now, we don't have to go through all these sacrifices and offerings because Jesus Christ did it once for all. There doesn't have to be rams and, and, and oxen and goats and everything else any longer because the blood of Jesus was shed, and it took care of that once and for all. So we have the ability as New Testament priests to come into his presence whenever we want. Not just once a day. He's available to us at any time. Matter of fact, he's saying, I got a pot of coffee. It's, it's on right now. Come on over and, and sit and just be with me for a while. That's his heart. That's why he designed this tabernacle as, as a presence, as a picture for the Old Testament and for us, is what heaven is all about. It's pure, it's holy. He wants his people who come in to be pure and holy so we can sit at his feet. Better is one day in your court. Better is one day in your house. Better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. Thousands elsewhere. Lord, I thank you that you've made a way, that you've built your place among us, that we could come and worship you. It's going to cost us something, Lord, but you've, you've provided the way, you've made the provision. You're covering our sins through the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for that, Lord, that, that even a hillbilly boy from South Baltimore can be in your presence, can come into your place and drink a cup of coffee with you in the morning. I thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. As Elder Kevin said, 
we enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. As the worship team comes out, I told you earlier today, we're gonna have information on worship and we're also gonna experience a demonstration in worship. We're not gonna leave you here just with information, but your practical application today is worship. Would you stand where you are? Even if you're in this building, can we stand together? And just lift your hands. Father, we thank you for your presence. Better is one day, one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. God, we need your presence. In your presence, there is the fullness of joy. God, we receive your joy. We receive your peace right now. Let's continue to worship.
Let that be your prayer today. Just want to be. Just want to be with you. Just want to be. Just want to be. Just want to be with you. One more time. Let's sing together. King of glory, sing. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, this praise and this worship, we seal it in the life-changing name of Jesus. And together, the people of God said, amen and amen.